If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. The book of Jonah is near the back of your New Testament. It also can be found in page 775 in your pew Bible. It also is in your bulletin and it will be on the screen behind me. This is God's Word, Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going at a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning through his spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning, and we pray um, that you would come uh, through your spirit and apply this passage to our hearts, that this would be uh, a place, as we read this passage, of shade. Uh, for us this morning, that you would teach us and correct us and train us in all righteousness through this passage and show us the goodness of the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. We've been studying the book of Jonah uh, during the month of January, essentially just taking one chapter a week uh, through the month of January before we start our series on the book of Galatians. And a quick preview, or a quick review, I should say, of the book. Jonah chapter 1, God comes. Jonah's a prophet and says, go and preach to Nineveh. Well, unlike most prophets, Jonah does not do what God says, but rebels against him and does the complete opposite, runs in the different direction. Chapter 2, we see that, uh, or chapter 1 uh, manifests itself and keeps going, and you see that the sailors uh, throw Jonah overboard and the sea is calm. And Jonah, the chapter ends, and essentially he thinks he's going to die. He doesn't know a fish is going to come and rescue him. Uh, and so he's dying, he's in despair, and he, think, and he sees this fish coming, and he thinks, again, not that the fish is going to rescue him, but eat him. He thinks he's going to die uh, from the fish if he didn't die in the storm. But it's in the belly of this fish that he realizes that this is God's miraculous salvation in his life. He prays the prayer that we looked at last week. It's a prayer where, on the one hand, he's despairing and seeing his sin, but on the other hand, he's seeing the goodness of God's grace in his life. And then Jonah, the fish vomits Jonah out. That's what the text says. I know it's a little graphic, but 
vomits Jonah out onto the shore, and that's where we pick up in chapter 3. Chapter 3 picks up, and God essentially pushes the reset button and said, let's try this again. He calls Jonah again to go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites, and Jonah does that, and he preaches the shortest sermon ever, but perhaps the most effective sermon ever, because the entire city of Nineveh repents and believes in God. And some of us, me included, have heard this story of Jonah and the Ninevites our entire life, and we read that and we go, yeah, 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 whatever. That's a big deal. The entire city of Nineveh repents. You've heard, I said this week one, but Nineveh was known for being very violent and extremely brutal. It was called the evil city or the devil city. So think of it this way. Tomorrow your good friend calls you and says, God's called me to go to the Middle East, straight into the heart of ISIS, and to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, sure, go do that, but nothing's going to happen. And then a few days later, it's all over the news that ISIS has dropped their weapons and turned to God. That's Jonah chapter 3. That's what's happening in Jonah chapter 3. And so who have you given up on this morning? Who's the one person, maybe in your family, your workplace, or a group of people that you have given up on or you think is too far gone? One of the ways you can summarize Jonah is that no one is too far gone. That God's mercy can completely overwhelm the wickedness of man. The book of Jonah is about the mission of God to reach the world with his glory. Last week, you were here, the theme was that God welcomes sinners Well, if you're looking for a theme this week or a main idea, it's this. God uses sinners to accomplish his purposes in the world. God uses sinners to accomplish his mission in the world. And so this week, we're going to do a little evangelism training, if you will. And by evangelism, I mean taking the gospel to the nations and to the world. Three things this morning. The motivation of missions, the means of missions, And the message of missions. Motivation, means, and message are the three points that we're going to look at from this passage this morning. Let's look at number one, the motivation. Look at verses one through three. The word of God comes to Jonah a second time. You'll notice this is a very similar call to Jonah chapter one in the beginning of chapter one when God calls Jonah and he runs the other way. And you would think at this point, God would say, Jonah, we're through. You're going to rebel against me? I'm going to find someone else, and I'm going to send someone else to do this job. But that is not our God. You see, God is a God of persistent grace, and he doesn't quit, and he doesn't give up on Jonah. Chapter 3, he calls him and says, let's do this again. And the response, if you notice, is very different than chapter 1. Jonah goes without hesitation. And the question I want us to look at is, why does Jonah go without hesitation? Well, because he had experienced grace. (laughs) He was at the bottom of the sea in complete despair and desperation, and he tasted God's grace personally for his rebellion and his sin against God. 
God had had compassion on him in chapter 2 by sending the fish to miraculously rescue him. And now Jonah has compassion on someone else. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, Jonah needed to feel the grace of God towards himself before he was a suitable minister of that grace to the people of Nineveh. And there's a principle here for us this morning. You'll never be compassionate towards other people. You'll never be merciful in a person of mercy until you see that the work of Jesus on the cross is way more than just simply a generalized atonement for your sins. And here's what I mean by that. We have to start, if we're going to be people of compassion, going to be motivated to reach our neighbors and the people around us with the gospel, we've got to begin by realizing that it was our sin Your sin, whatever it is that you brought in here this morning and the things that you're struggling with, it was that sin that put Jesus on the cross. And you see, this means that we've got to start putting names and dates to our sins. Because until we start putting names and dates to our sins and seeing that Jesus became that sin for us, then Jesus will never make us sing. Jesus will never move us and melt our hearts. Because once we start seeing that it was our sin, whatever it is, that specific sin that you struggle with, that Jesus was bearing that sin on the cross, when you see that, then you're cut to the heart. See, everyone has their own sin story, don't they? Everyone has their own story and brand of shame and brokenness, and it's not just a general story. Your story is not just a general one. It's a very specific story uh, that God has you in. And until you see the gospel actually applying in God's grace and Jesus' grace, applying to your story in a very specific way, then the gospel will never have punch in your life because it will remain impersonal. God, and we see it in Jonah's life, and we see it all over the Scriptures, when God's grace becomes very personal, compassion results towards other people. We see it everywhere in the Bible and in the Gospels, and I could name a hundred examples of this, but we're going to look at one. Think about it. Remember John chapter 4, Jesus and the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman? Jesus comes up to this woman and says, I'm going to tell you, I know everything that you've ever done. He says, I know that you've had five husbands and that the man you're living with now is not your husband. Does that sound specific enough? Her specific story, Jesus taking his grace in a very specific way into her life, into her heart, and into her story. Doesn't get more specific than that. But here's what I want you to see. You know what this woman does? She leaves that encounter with Jesus and she walks back into her community and she says, this is evangelism, come and see Jesus. Come with me to see this man who knows everything that I've ever done and told me everything that I've ever done. And then the passage goes on to say, the Samaritans believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. What moved and motivated this woman and what moved and motivated Jonah to mission was their experience, their personal experience in their story with God's grace. Reminds me of that famous novel, Les Mis, by Victor Hugo. It's a story about Jean Valjean. You're probably familiar with this uh, story. But 
Valjean had stolen some bread and was put in prison uh, because he was trying to uh, feed his family. He escapes and he finds himself at the house of a bishop and this bishop is taking care of him and Valjean decides to thank him by stealing his candlesticks and running out the door. The police track him down and they bring Valjean back to the bishop. And Valjean says, no, 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 he didn't steal them. I gave these candlesticks to him. And as a matter of fact, he forgot the rest of the silver that I tried to give him. And the police are in shock. They can't believe it, and so they leave. And if you remember the story, Valjean falls down on his knees, and he cries out, how can you do that? Because you know that I'm guilty. And you know the rest of the story the grace and the love the bishop has for Valjean in a very real and specific and personal way. He takes his grace and applies it to Valjean's life and it changes him. And he goes from being this self-righteous, self-absorbed thief to someone who's full of compassion, to someone who gives his life away from others. You see, the gospel has to be experienced, friends, in the dark places of your heart this morning. You've got to take the gospel to those places of brokenness and sin and shame. And that is hard for us. We don't like to do that. In fact, everything in us pushes against applying the gospel in those specific ways. Think about it. We hide. We suppress. We try to forget and numb ourselves with all sorts of things. Or we walk in here every Sunday morning and we pretend like we've got it all together. Or we spend our entire lives managing people's perceptions of us so they won't see who we really are. You've heard me say this a hundred times. You'll hear me say it a hundred more. Jesus came for real sinners. Jesus is a friend of real sinners, not just Christmas card sinners, but people who struggle in very specific ways. And Jesus wants to take his grace and apply it to those specific places in your heart and bring the gospel to bear there. And as long as we keep competing and comparing and hiding and faking it till we make it, then we'll never be compassionate the way God is calling us to be compassionate and merciful towards the world. Because the people who give grace are the people that knows that God has given them grace. And they take people and they go and say, let me tell you about the grace that I have tasted in Jesus. So it starts with your own experience with God's grace. You see, God wants to take your story and tell your story of grace to the world. That leads us to the second point. Look at verse 4. The means of the mission. Jonah marches into the city of Nineveh, and it's a very short, or this is at least all we have recorded. Uh, Some people think he said more than this, but this was a summary. But he preaches this message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And commentators make this point, and I love this. They make a point to say Jonah didn't just preach the message with words verbally, but his life was a message. Think about that. His life was a sermon. And it makes sense when we go to the New Testament. Remember, Jesus mentions Jonah, and so Jesus brings Jonah to himself and shows us that he's the point. And in in Luke chapter 11, 
Jesus is talking to this crowd of people, and listen to what he says. He says, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah. Then keep hang with me. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. Jesus mentions Jonah being a sign in a couple of places, but here's what's clear. Jonah himself became a sign to the people of Nineveh. He didn't perform the sign. It says very clearly, Jonah was the, he himself was the sign. And so then the question becomes, he was a sign of what? What did Jonah show them? Well, a few things. Jonah showed them in his life. Remember, his life was the message as well. He showed them, the Ninevites, that he needed the same gospel and the same grace that he was preaching to them. And not only that, he showed them that running from God was a serious thing and it actually leads to death. But in the middle of that death, there is hope for life. Remember, bottom of the ocean, belly of a fish, God comes and saves him, and not only saves him, but uses him. And so it was a sign that even though there was an announcement of judgment, there was hope for Nineveh that perhaps God would save them the same way that he saved Jonah. And You know, we're not sure how they knew the story of Jonah. Perhaps it was part of a sermon that's not recorded here, but the the thing that is clear is that he preached a sermon with his mouth but he also lived a sermon with his life. He was a living sermon of God's grace. We're thinking about missions and evangelism, and when we hear missions and evangelism, we think of going and and telling people that they're a sinner and they need to turn, and we're trying to convince them that they need Jesus, or we think about it in terms of critiquing someone's life. I remember every year on the college campus, there would be this preacher who would come and stand in the middle of campus and tell everyone to turn or burn. (laughs) And he would yell at people. We had this little portable thing, and he would scream at people and tell them that they were going to hell. Sometimes when we think of evangelism, we think of that kind of thing, of just kind of preaching the gospel to random people. And that is often what gives the outside world reason to accuse Christians of being self-righteous and holy rollers. And so how might that change? How can we change that? Well, we change that by being a living sermon like Jonah was with our lives. See, like Jonah, we show the world there's definitely, we got to speak the gospel, but we also have to live the gospel. And what we see here is Jonah, we need to show people that we need the exact same grace that we're telling them that they need. The message that we take to the world is not a call for them to only repent, but it is a call for us to repent as well. You see, you draw people in. You become winsome with your evangelism and with Christianity when you put yourself in the audience of the sermon. When you put yourself in the audience of the message. Because when you put yourself in the audience of the message, what happens? You're no longer preachy. You're no longer the preacher telling the terrible sinners that they need to repent. 
But all of a sudden, when you're in the audience of the sermon and you put yourself there, then you're the needy fellow sinner that needs Jesus just as much as everyone else does. See, evangelism is not, hey, you need Jesus, get your life together. Now, evangelism is, I need Jesus too. Let's go seek Jesus together. That's mission in evangelism. And listen, I hope you know, those of you that know me well know this is true, but I hope you know this is true of me too. I don't stand up here, and anyone that stands up here to preach, we don't stand up here because we're a better Christian than you. I hope you know that that is true. It's been said that uh, we are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. It's been said that we are dying men preaching to dying men and women. That is true of me this morning. I am a beggar just like you trying to show other people where to find bread. I am up here this morning because for whatever reason, God has called me to do this with my life just like he's called you to do whatever it is that you do in your vocation. And the point is this. Every Sunday morning we come in here and I need exactly what I'm preaching to you. And the idea is that I need Jesus, and you need Jesus, and let's all go together to the the throne of grace and seek Jesus together. That's mission and evangelism. That's our calling. You see what this means, don't you? This means, though this is really good news, the story of Jonah, it's also frightening news, news because it puts down and levels and takes away all our excuses doesn't it? Anyone else besides me ever had the excuse, God really can't use me to accomplish anything in in, in his kingdom and in the world. He can't possibly use me. I mean, I can't speak that well. I don't know that Bible that well. I don't pray enough. Uh, You know, my life is a wreck. My life is full of sin. God could not possibly use me. Look at the passage. Jonah was a terrible prophet. He didn't even want God to use him. And God used his failure and his weakness to take an entire, the devil city, (laughs) to bring that city to faith and to repentance and faith. You see, what ends up happening is we start to believe the lie that God only uses strong people. We do it all the time, and so we start saying, I really want God to use me wherever I am. I really want to minister in my neighborhood, but at first I've got to get my life together. I've got to get my act together. I've got to start praying more. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to be on fire for Jesus, whatever that means. I've got to deal with sin, whatever it is I'm struggling with. And you know what we're really saying? I've got to know more. I've got to know more theology. And what we're saying is that God only uses strong people, that he only uses the spiritually strong. And listen, with all due respect, that's not in the Bible. That's the complete opposite of what Christianity is. Look at Jonah, he's not strong. Look at all the people, David and Peter and Paul. You know what the message of the Bible is this morning? Is failures make the best missionaries. Because forgiven failures are the best advertisement for the kingdom of God, for God in His grace. It's in your weakness that God's power is made manifest in the world. 
And so how about this morning? How about as a church? How about we stop trying to have our act together? How about we stop faking it till we make it? How about we stop trying to run from our painful past, whatever that is for you? How about we stop trying to run from our brokenness and our weakness and actually start to lean into that and be honest about our weakness and brokenness and taking that with us out into the world and as we interact with people and saying to them, Listen, I'm a really big sinner. But let me tell you about a really big Savior named Jesus. And you invite them to come encounter Jesus with you. That's evangelism. That's mission. Thirdly, message. What is the message of our mission And it's twofold here. One side is repentance, which means to turn away from your sin and run to God. And then we'll look at the second part of the message, which is God's mercy in a second. But let's look at repentance. Look at verses 4 and 5. The word overthrown is the same word here that is used for God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. And I say that because there's no doubt what the message that Jonah is bringing to them. Turn, repent, and turn to God, or the same thing will happen to you. And they do. Look at the passage. They turn and believe God. And But this passage really shows us a lot about uh, what repentance is and what that message is to produce in people's lives. And the first thing repentance involves is genuine remorse and hatred for sin. Look at verse 5. That's the whole sackcloth and ashes thing. The sackcloth is to be worn by the greatest to the least. Sackcloth was something that the poor wore. It was very coarse and uncomfortable. And it was a way for you to humble yourself and to express humility and lament over your sin. Verse 6. Did you notice when the word gets back to the king, this is another sign of true repentance, is you don't argue. You don't get defensive. The king gets the word from Jonah, this word about repenting and turning to God. And notice he doesn't say, how dare you come say that to me? He doesn't say, look at all that I've given. Look at all the money I've got. Look at all the people that I've helped. I'm really a good father. No, there are no excuses. Because when you're repentant, you don't defend yourself. You see, genuine repentance is not defending yourself. It's going before God and saying it's all true and worse. It's going before God and saying, everything that you have revealed revealed about me is completely true. I'm really that sinful and broken. You see, repentance, we think, is about getting your life together. No, 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 no. Repentance is not about getting your life together. Repentance is saying, I can't get my life together. And then going and throwing yourself on the mercy of God. That's repentance. We also see uh, something else here about true repentance. It's repentance is not just turning from your bad things, it's turning from your good things. Did you pick up on the fact that they they did turn from their evil ways and they had a lot of bad things to turn from, but look at verse 6. The king takes off his kingly robes and he sits in ashes. See, he takes off or turns from the things that he 
has to boast in. He, ta- he takes off and turns from the things that made him feel important and made him feel the most righteous. What is it in your life this morning? What are the things this morning that you like most about yourself? Chances are those are the things you need to take off. It might be grades. It might be your success and the money you've made. It might be how smart you are and your beauty or your body type or your power that you have over people. Or it might be the fact that no one dislikes you and you're well-liked by everyone. Repentance includes looking at those things and throwing those things down and throwing yourself on the mercy of God. Because repentance says that you can no longer rest and, and boast in the things that make you great and that make, make you feel good about yourself. That's what we see happening in this passage. But we also see the mercy of God uh, in this passage as being part of the message of mission. Look at verse 10. I love this. So God saw that they turned from their evil, so he saw that they repented, and he relented of the destruction. Friends, the warning is real. The warning is real. The warning he gave them is real, but God in his heart for the world and for the nations wanted to forgive them. He wanted to move towards them. He wanted to rescue them. And so here's the message of mission this morning. When you turn from your sin, you find God's mercy every single time. The message of mission is when you turn from your sin, you find God's mercy, not just one time or twice and then three strikes you're out, every single time. You come here this morning and you can't fix your life. You come here this morning and you're confused. The greatest need for your soul is the mercy of God. It's not more success. It's not better children. It's not more money. It's not give me one more thing to do. It's not a more comfortable life. The greatest need for your soul is to throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, I've mentioned this passage a few times. But Jesus says, the men of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And here it is. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Who is the greater someone that is here? Who is Jesus talking about? Well, he's talking about himself. He's talking about what he came into the world to do. And think about it this way. God used Jonah to bring all of Nineveh to repentance How much more is he going to use his only son in the world in which we live? Should we not expect even greater things? See, like Jonah, Jesus came with a simple message. Mark chapter 1. You have a red letter Bible. The first red letters in your Bible is the first sermon that Jesus ever preached. And you know what it was? Repent and believe because the kingdom of God is near. Like Jonah, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish in the grave of sorts before he came out and found life. Jesus was three days and three nights in a tomb 
It shows us the seriousness of sin that leads to death, but it also shows us that life comes from death. You think about Jonah was assigned to Nineveh, that sinners who repent taste God's mercy. Jesus is a sign to the world that sinners, when they repent, find God's mercy every single time. And the reason why that is possible is because Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. And because he died the death that we deserved, we get mercy. We get mercy and not judgment every single time. There was this great artist in the 1500s named Sebastiano. And he painted this wonderful painting. And the painting was of the shepherds going to see Jesus. And in the 1700s, the painting was badly damaged, so much so that many believed it was beyond repair and beyond restoration and hope. But there was this gentleman by the name of, I love this name, Rupert Featherstone. He was the director of the Hamilton Kerr Institute, and he was an expert in restoring artwork that had been ruined, or they thought had been ruined. And so he takes this piece of artwork, and he begins to work with it, and he, begins, he, he finally restores it back to its original beauty, and now it's on display once again. But in the article, it says that every so often people would come as he was putting this painting back together and restoring it, they would come and they would just simply look at the painting with crossed arms and they would shake their head and sadly walk away. Who have you given up on this morning? Who is it in your life or around you that you, like those folks looking at that painting, you simply look at them and you shake your head and you sadly walk away? The message of Jonah chapter 3 is that God saw Nineveh and God sees us and we're a wrecked piece of art because of our sin. It looks like we're completely ruined, but thankfully God in his grace does not look at us and shake his head and sadly walk away. But God, the God of Jonah chapter 3, moves towards us in mercy and he completely restores us. Friends, in Jonah chapter 3, one of, the thing God, one of the things that God wants to do in your life this morning and wants to do in the life of our church is he wants to completely bust your categories on who you think he is. Because if we're honest, our God is way too small this morning. Jonah chapter 3 wants to bust our categories and, say, and tell us that this is still what God is like. That God still rescues people who we think are beyond hope. The wickedness of man is no match for the mercy of God. I love Richard Sibbs, the old Puritan, is famous for saying, There is more mercy in God than there is sin in us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you, you are big. You are beyond tracing out. And you are merciful and forgiving. And we need you to forgive us this morning for making you way too small. We need you to forgive us for our low expectations about what you want to do in the world and 
what you want to do through our church and through us. And Lord, I pray that you would come in all of us and you would make your heart our heart this morning. Show us very specific ways that we might live out your mission in the world, in our homes and in our workplaces and in our families and in our neighborhoods. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.